People are tired of hearing nothing but doom and despair on the radio. The message of Christianity is that salvation is found in Christ alone, and any who reject Christ therefore forfeit any hope of salvation, any hope of heaven. The issue is that humanity is in sin, and the wrath of Almighty God is hanging over our heads. They will hear his words, they will not act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment, when the fires of wrath come, they will be consumed and they will perish. God wrapped himself in flesh, condescended, and became a man, died on the cross for sin, was resurrected on the third day, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he sits now to make intercession for us. Jesus is saying there is a group of people who will hear his words, they will act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment come in that final day, their house will stand. Welcome to Bible Bash, where we aim to equip the saints for the works of ministry. We're your hosts, Harrison Kerrig and Pastor Tim Mullet, and today we seek to answer the age-old question, are psychologists the literal spawn of Satan? Now, before we answer that question, Tim, I, I think it might be helpful if you could just sort of define that word, psychology, so that people listening will know exactly what we're talking about when we're using that word. Okay, well, I mean, uh, psychology is essentially a series of uh, competing counseling philosophies which are aimed at trying to provide, uh, I mean, essentially a, a humanistic understanding of the soul. So uh, the word psychology comes from two words in the Greek, uh, suke, meaning uh, soul, essentially, or spirit or breath. And then you have uh, the word logos or logia, which is essentially meaning the study of in this kind of context. So you put those two together and you get study of the soul. Now, uh, as I said, I mean, the, uh, psychology is not a monolith. There is no uh, singular thing uh, that uh, is psychology. If you go to any number of psychologists, you're going to get uh, different uh, kinds of uh, counseling, uh, but then they're all uh, essentially going to be rooted in some sort of uh, secular or uh, Darwinian worldview. Uh, now, I mean, there is uh, what's called as biblical counseling, and the biblical counseling movement is a rejection of uh, secular humanistic psychology in that kind of way, but uh, you know, essentially, what you're dealing with is you're dealing with some sort of uh, counseling philosophy, uh, and, and there there are many, as I said, many competing counseling philosophies. At, at, at a popular level, psychology is going to be essentially uh, interacting with the uh, DSM categories of the uh, Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, and 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 that's going to provide a, essentially a competing worldview with that of the Bible. Now. Um, you know, many understand or recognize that Freud is the father of modern psychology. And one of the things that Freud sought to do intentionally was to to start out with that Darwinian, that basic Darwinian assumption that the world uh, essentially uh, came into being at some point from nothing and that uh, and, and somehow, you know, in some kind of, you know, Big Bang kind of framework as they're arguing for now. But uh, the, you know, the essential evolutionary uh, philosophy of Darwin is that everything, you know, you, you, life starts out in simple life forms and it's uh, evolving into some sort of complex life forms. And so one of the things that Freud was trying to do was provide intentionally, I mean, you just like 
read his works, he's intentionally setting out to provide an alternative to soul care. So it used to be that, you know, if individuals had a problem, they would go to pastors to seek to interact and deal with it. But this is, uh, this, you know, uh, for the modern, uh, father of modern psychology was intentionally setting out to provide, um, a, um, competing method of dealing with the soul or understanding the soul that wasn't based on religious presuppositions, uh, but, the, but in a Darwinian worldview and, and that project has largely been successful. So today, um, you know, it, it is very true, even in the church, that if there is some sort of problem that a person is struggling with, whether it be, you know, an eating disorder or worry or anxiety or depression uh, or anger or, you know, sadness or whatever it is, I mean, uh, your different moods or uh, motivation or whatever else, uh, there's many, many, I mean, I would say the vast majority of churches in America really have functionally zero answers to give to any. Uh, individuals in those kind of situations or, you know, many, I mean, most, I would say most of the basic issues of life. And we've, we've um, surrendered that territory and given it over to the psychologists. So essentially you're saying psychology is a Darwinian or maybe a materialistic attempt at trying to explain uh, issues pertaining to the soul. Is that, is that, yeah, summary. I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, all, all of your psychologies, whatever the counseling philosophy, you know, whether it's just rooted in, um, you know, um, behavior modification or whatever, whatever it is. I mean, uh, wh- wh- like whatever the whatever the philosophy, you know, if it's Jungian psychology, if it's Freudian psychology, whatever. I mean, it's it's all going to be an attempt to explain human behavior. And so not only is it attempting to explain what, like the basic questions of life, why do we do what we do? Uh, uh, these uh, counseling theories or philosophies are, are not only trying to give us a vocabulary to, to deal with, you know, how to diagnose people, you know, what, uh, labels that we're going to put on people to describe their thoughts and behaviors, but then it's putting forward some sort of solution to these basic problems that is not going to be found in the scriptures. It's going to be found um outside of that in some way. Okay. Well, I think that flows pretty naturally into our next question, which is, uh, are psychologists literal children of Satan? Yeah. Well, um, I think the, <laughs> the, <laughs> uh, the, 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 you know, the, the literal answer to that question is probably not. I mean, um, now, I mean, it is possible that, uh, Satan, who is the father of lies, did, you know, either himself or send fallen angels in order to um, copulate with uh, all of psychologists' mothers and <laughs> essentially <laughs> produce uh, a half, uh, half-human uh, offspring, you know, like, like uh, what happened uh, in Genesis 6 with, with days of Noah with the Nephilim and thereafter. Uh, that could be the case, you know, that, that uh, I, I don't want to dim- dismiss that as a possibility. But then when the Bible talks about um, humanity, uh, the Bible does say that humanity is divided into two basic categories. You have the sons of God and you have the sons of the devil. And that um, son of language there 
So just to give you a passage, John eight forty four, uh, Jesus says uh, to the religious leaders of the time, you are of uh, your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, when, when he says that to the Pharisees, he's, he's not saying that they were literal uh, offspring of Satan. What he's saying is they're character they're characterized by um, they're, they're both characterized by um, the character of Satan, and then they're in some sense under the power of Satan. So the Bible says the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one, and, and so um, there is a great enemy of our soul, and, and they're basically essentially two humanities. There are the sons of God. There are those who are uh, who have Jesus as their father and whose uh, desire is to do the will of Jesus their father. And then there are those who um, are uh, essentially running the playbook of Satan and, and, and trying to advance his purposes, whether knowledgeably or not. And I would say that as a generalization, yes, I mean, psychologists are doing the work. Uh, psychologists are doing the work of the devil, obviously. So yeah, I, mean, I say obviously, but you know it's obvious to me. But you know, I would say yeah, it's not obvious to everyone else. Unfortunately, that's why we're doing this podcast. <laughs> so, so essentially, psychologists are literal children of Satan, metaphorically. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, I mean, not <laughs> literal. Yeah, not literal, but, um, but um, yeah. Uh, so metaphorical, so I, sure. So yeah. I guess you know you brought up the passage where Jesus is, um, he's speaking with the the Jewish leaders of the time, um, and he's and he's telling them that they are of their father, the devil. So so does that mean that we, when we're interacting with psychologists or when we're talking about this subject, um, we need to view psychologists the same as we would view false teachers um, or I mean um, the same as we should view spiritual false teachers is, is that what you're saying oh I mean uh, absolutely uh, the psychology is a competing worldview with the Bible it, it is essentially adopting the same kind of territory that the Bible is uh, seeking to address so um, like there are um, I would say that Psychologists are Satan's priest. I mean, they they're doing his work, you know. And that, and that seems like a strong term. That seems like it's over the top. It seems like I'm being crazy. But you have to understand something. The reason why um, people think that kind of thing sounds crazy is because they don't actually understand. Um, well, I, I'll say two things. I mean, first. Um, so much ground has been lost in this territory that we we don't even know where we're at, okay? So, I mean, like, the, the issue is that it used to be that if you have a problem, I mean, let's say you're, you're, you're a teenage girl, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't like the way you look. And, and so instead of, you know, having some sort of um, understanding of food and the purpose of food that you're going to derive from the scriptures or something else, like you're looking at yourself, you're comparing yourself with other women, you don't like... Uh, what you see, uh, you're weighed down with insecurities. Uh, you, you know, maybe you have struggle in life and, and, um, uh, you know, difficult problems in life or, you know, fairly trivial problems in life, whatever, like, but then you look at food and you, you, you're trying to exercise some kind of measure of control over your life. And, and so what you do is you go and you, uh, you know, either you binge and then you purge, right. Mm -hmm. Or you refuse to eat at all. 
Right. So like in that kind of scenario, one of the things to realize is that like there are labels for that kind of thing. You call that anorexia or bulimia in the language of psychology. But the problem, though, is that I think Christians, as they read their Bible, we we don't even think to go to the scriptures and try to figure out, well, what do you do with that kind of thing anymore? We just think, oh, well, she's suffering from anorexia. She's suffering from bulimia. Therefore, you must, you know, we don't have anything to say. So you go talk to a psychologist or something like that. Now, the problem, though, is that in every one of these cases, you know, you, you think about any of these labels that you're given, right? Bulimia, anorexia, um, you know, a- anxiety, alcoholism, uh, depression, whatever. Like you're going like, to, the issue is that you have um, psychology, which is essentially, um, uh, I mean, what essentially looking at their book and going to provide a diagnosis for why that's going to happen. So you're going to get a certain label and those labels actually matter. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like, for instance, I mean, um, like just think about it this way. Like if, you know, if someone drinks too much alcohol and gets drunk every night and refuses to hold down a job, what do you call them? A drunk. Well, <laughs> we, 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 well, that's what that's what I call. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> had, but no, I mean, the thing is, no one calls them. A, you know, we used to say, oh, hey, you're a worthless drunk. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you used to say. But then uh, now we say, hey, you're suffering from alcoholism. Right. I mean, that's that's kind of what we say. And if you say, hey, you're suffering from alcoholism, well, it sounds like you're some sort of victim who's struggling with cancer. And so, um, now, so like, here's the thing. So, I mean, the question is, like, should you look at psychologists as false teachers? Well, isn't, you know, semantically, isn't it very different to call someone a worthless drunk and to call them uh, suffering from alcoholism? Right. Mm-hmm. And so like these, um, you know, what psychologists are doing, we look to them as if they're experts. We grant them some kind of authority over us and then we're working within their categories and their categories are deeply meaningful. Now, what do you do with that guy who's you know, with the worthless drunk who you say, hey, he's suffering from he's been suffering for alcoholism for years. I mean, you can imagine yourself being at a funeral and then, you know, the kids of the dad get up and say, yeah, he suffered with alcoholism for years. You know, it, like they present him in the language of victimization and like that, that language totally takes away any moral responsibility that that man has right Mm -hmm. and the problem there like here's the problem like when you take away all moral responsibility what you are doing is you are treating that person as if he's subhuman and not only that you're taking away any hope that they have of of the gospel right so how do we respond to the gospel we respond to the gospel like the good news of what jesus did in faith and repentance but you can't repent of an illness if you have cancer you can't repent of getting cancer Mm-hmm. That's the way it works. You can't. Like, I mean, so with every one of these categories, like when you label them in the language of victimization, what you're doing is you are taking away moral agency from a human being and you're shutting off their hope of the gospel. And that's the problem, right? So, like, that's the difficulty with this subject matter. Well, okay. So, if we're supposed to view psychologists that way then you know is it possible for a psychologist to even be a christian if we're supposed to view them the same as we would any other spiritual false teacher yeah i mean that's a difficult question to answer because um obviously there's no um 
you know, there's like thousands and thousands and thousands of psychologists in the world uh, who are operating on some sort of spectrum as far as that goes. Now, um, like as a generalization, you know, it's it's I hope it's becoming more and more obvious to people that uh, and I think it really is com- becoming more obvious to people that that um, that, you know, People are tired of becoming drug addicts because they go to a psychologist, and, and psychologists seem, you know, by and large, as a generalization, seem to think. And, and there's a movement of psychologists who are pushing back on this. I'm not trying to overgeneralize, but the, the reality is that you know the vast majority, like one in five women, are on antidepressants right now. They they are functional drug addicts because they don't know how to handle handle their life. This is a huge problem. So uh, one in five women are on antidepressants. And basically, you know, that means that you have one in five women who are like functionally, you know, uh, hopeless, fi- like feel, I mean, and I, I think that's one in five being functionally hopeless and, you know, uh, filled with uh, complaints and everything else that's on the low end. But I'm just saying that one in five of them are proving themselves to be that through use of antidepressants. But here's the thing. I, I, so I, I don't think that all psychologists are um, to the same uh, degree um, removing all personal response, moral agency or personal responsibility from people. But they're like, the, the reality is that psychology and, and the Bible do not mix. They're competing worldviews, and they have been competing worldviews from the start. And so, uh, as a generalization, it is very difficult. It is very, very difficult to be uh, to look at a person who is a part of a profession that, at its core, is 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 you know a competing worldview with that of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And doing great damage to the Bible, and have any confidence about the state of their soul? Okay, like that is like that is very difficult to do. Okay, so, like, um, I mean, it's like asking, you know, our, um, you know, is it possible for you know Robin D'Angelo or something to be secretly a Christian when she's caught up in all the woke nonsense? And everything <laughs> else? It's like, hey, this is a competing worldview here. It's it's very, um, like, t- like. And any attempt really to harmonize like this alternative worldview with the Bible is inevitably uh, it's like oil and water. It doesn't mix. They're they're fundamentally set at odds at almost every single conceivable point. Um, and maybe we could talk about some of that. But no, I mean, I, I like as a generalization, like the Bible says that you know what. Of those individuals who cause these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them that a millstone is hung around their neck and they are cast into the depths of the sea. And as a profession and as a generalization, that is essentially what psychologists are doing. They are removing personal responsibility from people. They're they're blaming spiritual problems on you know supposed uh, theories about organic uh, um, some sort of organic cause. Uh, functionally, what they are doing is they are cutting people off from repentance and, and destroying their hope of really, um, like providing a major stumbling block um, that keeps people from actually turning to the Lord and dealing with their actual problems. I mean, and I can just give you example after example after example of individuals I've counseled who are just sitting there, like, um, uh, you know, I, I just give you one example real quick. I know this is a long <laughs> answer to that question, but. Like, look, I mean, I, I, you know, I, this guy I counseled, we'll call him Richard, who, um, 
30-year-old guy sitting at a home all day long playing video games in his parents' house. Um, and I'm trying to counsel him and, you know, he wants to get married and, but he can't. And, and why? Well, why can't he go out and get married? Well, he doesn't have any money and his parents won't let him and, you know, he doesn't have a job and everything else. And, well, why can't you go get a job? Well, because I'm suffering from ADD and, you know, he's on Ritalin and he's received that diagnosis. And that kind of person is like, you, you look at him and say, hey, you know, like, you're going to change your life. You're coming to biblical counseling. You need to start reading your Bible. And it's like, I can't, I have my ADD, right? Mm-hmm. So the ADD is keeping me from living a productive life. It's keeping me from reading the Bible. And, uh, you know, I don't care what you say. You, you're able to spend 16 hours a day playing video games. You can't read your Bible. This is a spiritual issue. And, and the person who gave him that label has functionally, it is that person in the Bible that it, that, that the Bible says that, you know, you put it's better a millstone put around your neck and you cast into the depths of sea. You've given them uh, some sort of moral excuse to fail to handle life at a more most like a basic and fundamental level. That label is is functioning as a massive stumbling block to keep you from being sanctified. And that's how those labels function in every single instance. Anytime you you, you have a uh, you have a lady who's who's um, on antidepressants and who never give thanks, has no joy in her heart, has no joy in her life, uh, and constantly complains, constantly grumbles. Do you think you have any ability to confront her and say, hey, you need to repent of that complaining and start giving thanks? Because the Bible says that uh, man's basic problem is he didn't glorify God or give thanks. No, she's going to wield her label of depression as a club against the Bible that is going to give her every excuse she needs to keep from actually having to look in the mirror and take responsibility for anything. And that's how those labels function across the board. That's not uh, exaggeration. That's the standard way they function and everyone knows it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So if you're a part of that and that's what your life is characterized by as removing personal responsibility from people by uh, uh, presenting to them this hostile worldview, I don't see how you can possibly be not doing the devil's work at that point. Right. So that's the point. Okay. Now I'm sure that maybe there's somewhere, somewhere, someone somewhere along the line who went to school and who basically has chucked most of that. uh, And, you know, still has his license and everything else and maybe doing a lot of good work. And there's just a a little bit of that mixed in there, Mm -hmm. but that's not my experience, you know, looking at what's actually happening. So, well, at the risk of kind of, um, you know, going off on a little side trail for a second earlier, you mentioned that there was a movement of people who, uh, were rejecting psychology. Um, could you, could you, I don't, I don't know exactly what group of people you're talking about. Could you kind of flesh that out a little more? Sure. So, I mean, uh, Jay Adams was uh, a guy who basically, um, he taught at Westminster um, uh, Seminary in Philadelphia. But then there's a movement that started under the broad rubric of um, nuthetic counseling, essentially. And uh, nuthetic counseling is uh, coming from a Greek word, nuthateo, which basically means to admonish. And so there, there's a broad movement of people who... who you know, he's one of the central people and it's kind of spread out from there to include a lot of people like Paul Tripp and, um, at least, uh, Fitzpatrick and that kind of stuff. And I don't know that it's as cohesive as it used to be, but, um, 
Uh, there's plenty of guys in that kind of world. Uh, Masters uh, University out in California has a school that's just uh, solely trying to do biblical counseling. Uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, they, there was a program that um, Professor Stuart Scott came from Masters University in order to start a biblical counseling program at Southern. And so there, there are schools out there that are doing that kind of thing. Um, and there, there's some major churches out there, but uh, the the thing that they became convinced of, and this was, you know, I think in the 70s and 80s, uh, uh, when some of the, some of the stuff started taking off a little bit, but they became convinced that the Bible is sufficient. So, uh, you know, we have an authoritative Bible. It, the, the the debates of the past were all over, you know, inerrancy is the Bible without error. Uh, but then, you know, with the psychology discussion, the, the issue is not inerrancy, is the Bible without errors. It, it, the discussion is, is the Bible sufficient? So mm-hmm. did God give us what we need in his word to tell us how to handle the basic problems of life? That's the question. And that's the question that is essential to the discussion of biblical counseling versus psychology is, did God tell us, you know, did, did God give us enough information in the book, in his book, to help a drunk know how to repent of his drunkenness? Mm-hmm. Uh, did the Bible tell, uh, give us enough information to tell a thief how to quit being a thief, right? Or a kleptomaniac, <laughs> if you want to remove all res- personal responsibility from that person. Did the Bible tell us, you know, uh, give us enough information to tell a girl who doesn't like the way she looks and what, or wants to exercise some sort of control over her life, uh, how to keep from throwing up in a bathroom. Right. Mm-hmm. And doesn't, doesn't that just sound mean? Doesn't it sound mean? I mean, a side note, it doesn't sound mean to say it like that, but like, that's, that's the whole thing. We're just so trained in the language of victimization that if you accurately describe what people are actually doing, it's like, how dare you? Right. It's like, well, no, I mean, like I'm talking in terms of moral categories, right? But anyways, so the biblical counseling movement was essentially a movement where um, people said, hey, you know, like we're tired of farming all these problems off to the psychologists. I thought we we're supposed to be shepherds, right? I thought that we believed the Bible is sufficient. I thought that we believed in a book that was supposed to help us to – you know, stand firm and to be strong and to resist the enemy and everything else. And and it seems like um, uh, what's, you know, part of what's happened is like the church for so many years, you basically go to church and you learn 52 ways to be saved every, you know, every week, (laughs) salvation message every week. Right. Um, And, and, but then you don't learn any like practical um, uh, uh, instruction on how to actually live life, you know, and deal with, problems like self-control and anger and sadness and you know worry and everything else and the bible has so much to say about these things and so anyways these guys they you know started um um teaching on these subjects and and what they wanted to do was uh develop a counseling philosophy and methodology that was coming from the bible and uh leaning on the bible and not just um um let the pagans tell us how to care for people's souls essentially it's it's funny that you mention you know the victim the victim language we're trained in the in the victim language it it immediately made me think of um what's his name uh ray comfort right that's his name yeah. uh right. and I, i'm sure you've seen his videos where he goes out and he's um witnessing he's witnessing to people and one of the main things that he does is he'll ask people hey do you think you're a good person and obviously the answer is always yeah i think i'm a pretty good person 
And so he challenged the he challenges them by giving them a pretty simple test, and he just reads off a few of the Ten Commandments. You know, um, or well, he doesn't read them off. He just asks them, "Hey, have you ever stolen anything?" Uh, and, and the answer is always, "Well, with the stealing one, it's normally yes. Sometimes they say no to that one, but then, hey, have you ever been angry at anyone?" Yes, obviously, everyone's been angry at someone. And and have you ever looked at someone with lust in your heart? Yes, who hasn't, right? The answer is always yes to those questions. And so he'll ask them, you know, so what do you call a person who who steals things? And And they stumble over the answer because they know what the answer is, but then they're not ready to say it for themselves, right? They're used to thinking other people are thieves when they steal, but then when you're forced to confront your own uh, immoral actions, your own uh, thievery, your own uh, anger, it becomes a lot harder to say, well, you know, I'm the, I'm a thief, actually, I'm a liar, you know, I'm, I'm a fornicator, uh, all those things. And so it's funny to see how quickly they'll answer the first question, hey, have you ever done this? Have you ever done this? Have you ever done this? But then they're really reluctant to answer the set, the follow-up question, what does that mean in terms of what sure. you are? It's really funny well, to the, see them. Yeah, well, this is why this is such an important discussion because in order for a person to be saved, you have to first be convinced that you're a sinner. Right. That's the problem. So the Bible says, those who are no, uh, well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay? Right. And then like the church really, I mean, we... we you bring up Ray Comfort. You listen to Ray Comfort, but I mean, I I can't think of I mean, most people I've I've ever talked to. Most Christians I ever talked to think that Ray Comfort is fundamentally doing something immoral by oh really out like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know very many Christians who like really think, oh man, that's a good way to evangelize people. Wow, I right? did I mean, not know that. I thought well, that was a great way. <laughs> well, you think that because you've read the Bible before, but look. Um, uh, Look, I mean, <laughs> it's all friendship evangelism, man. Like, you don't go out there and just, like, uh, first time you talk to someone, like he, like, he doesn't have the right to be heard. He hadn't earned the right to be heard. He hadn't, like, developed a friendship. He hasn't, you know, done life with them. He, he hasn't <laughs> like, he hasn't done any of that. And so you just go out there with, you use the law as a club. I mean, he's essentially, you know, someone that's, like, m- most people I know would consider a, a Bible basher for sure, you know. <laughs> uh, but, uh but I mean, like that. The thing is, like, you actually look at the way people actually evangelize in the Bible. Like, side note, you know, John Baptist Jesus, you know, John the Baptist says, "You bird of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come." He didn't just go and bite him to have a cup of coffee, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, but but I mean, that sounds a lot more like great comfort. But here's the thing: if you destroy all these moral categories, here's the problem: you destroy all these moral categories. Like, how are they going to repent? How are they going to see their need for a savior? Because all you're doing is you're, you're like, um, you, you, I mean, you're you're like Robin Williams, you know, <laughs> coming along saying it's not your fault, it's not your fault, it's not your fault, <laughs> and that's what it is. That's what you're doing. Uh, and so, like you talked about anger. I mean, and, and this is what's so absurd about this whole discussion, and people don't realize what's actually happening. Like right now, I have my computer open, and I just did a simple Google or Duck Duck Go search because Google is the devil, right? <laughs> um, so I just did a simple uh, uh, Duck Duck Go search for anger disorders. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he, he's asking, Hey, have you ever been angry? Well, you know, you commit a murder because you flare my mouth and all that. All right. Look at this. All right. So, um, 
uh, while anger itself, first result, while anger itself is not considered a disorder, when an individual becomes unable to control the symptoms of anger, or if those symptoms result in dangerous behavior, it may be considered an anger disorder, right? How does that person <laughs> repent? <laughs> right? How does he repent? I right? guess I guess take some medication or something. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, anger disorders, like this is on angermentor.com. Anger disorders, symptoms, science, and therapies. One third of adults say they feel angry almost every day. Three quarters feel irritated several times a week. Some are worried they're suffering from some sort of anger disorder, right? right so now look, ang- uh, 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 let's see. Uh, all right, so like, there, I mean, there's all sorts of like anger disorders that you can come up with. A few down, Mayo Clinic, right? Intermittent explosive disorder, symptoms and causes, right? Uh, so, uh, sim- <laughs> intermittent, what, wait, intermittent what explosive, explosive disorder. disorder? Yeah, symptoms and causes, <laughs> road rage, <laughs> domestic abuse, throwing or breaking objects or other temper tantrums may be signs of intermittent explosive explosive disorders. Uh, these intermittent explosive outbursts can cause you significant distress, distress negatively impact your relationships work or school right so but notice how it's all like you know some are worried they're suffering from some sort of anger disorder mm-hmm. how do you repent of anger if you're suffering from an anger disorder right I mean, how do you do that right and so like we're not doing the same thing that's the problem we are not talking in the same language all of these moral categories are being put in the language of disorder and then you feel like you're a victim suffering from it if you feel like you're a victim suffering from some sort of disorder you are not going to repent of that Right, right. That's the voice of Satan coming alongside saying, hey, hey, did God really say that? Right. Well, he didn't know all that we know today in 21st century about science. Right. Uh, because, uh, you know, if you knew if you knew about science, then obviously men can be women if they want to. And there's no difference between the two. Um, but then somehow men are oppressing women, even though we don't know the difference between the two. So, you know, it all makes sense because mm-hmm. science and all that. But anyways. All right. Yeah. So Ray Comfort. <laughs> he's he's good one go go and look him up if you're listening he'll he'll show you how to uh witness to people well um he'll show you how to effectively bible bash apparently um yeah, that's right so okay so we've discussed at length about why is psychology so harmful um and how should we view psychologists so if it's if it's as harmful as what you're saying, Tim, why has it become so popular? I mean, it's pretty much everywhere. I mean, it's the go-to. I feel like I can go online, and, and people my age, it seems like like tons of people I know are constantly yeah saying things like, "Yeah, I went and I saw my therapist to talk about this issue," or uh, you know, I'll be seeing ads more and more talking about hey we you know this counseling company that you can reach out to if you're having issues with depression or anxiety or anger or you know whatever else it seems so prevalent in our society so if it's so harmful why is it so prevalent well the whole world lies in the sway of the evil one <laughs> <laughs> all right so. close it up move on to the next one <laughs> uh, no i mean look i mean uh satan satan's basic thing you know his basic strategy is to say it's not your fault right i mean if, if it's not your fault you can't repent of it you can't turn to the lord you can't find forgiveness so we we serve a god where forgiveness is there it's available you know like we have an answer to guilt and shame and condemnation and we can turn to the lord and we can ask forgiveness for things but you can't get that uh, solution if you're not persuaded that anything's your fault i mean that's essentially 
you know, the basic problem in the garden is that Adam looks at Eve and, you know, uh, or Eve first says, you know, uh, why did God says, why did you eat of it? And Eve says, well, it's, you know, devil's fault. Devil made me do it. Right. And then Adam says, well, you know, I did it because that, that woman you gave me. Right. So it's the lady's fault. Blame it on the lady. And then not only that, blame it on you, God, because you gave her to me. I thought you, you know, you, you should have made a better one who wasn't going to try to get me to do something bad. Right. <laughs> but I mean, that's the basic thing. Right. So, I mean, part of it is like there really is a spiritual battle for people's souls. And if you can persuade people that they're victims, like you take away all moral agency. Now, I mean, I, now I think psychology is like people are starting to become a little bit dis- disillusioned by it. And so you, you, psychology was the big thing, the big thing. And it's still like people haven't thought through it. Uh, I, I want to give you several answers to the question that you're basically asking, you know, why is it so popular? Well, I mean, because Satan, the first one is basically Satan has a vested interest in taking away moral agency from people, right? Mm-hmm. So with psychology, psychology was like, it just held sway in, you know, for years and years and years in the church because we just handed over problems to psychologists. Uh, but then now, I mean, nutrition is kind of, People are tired of becoming drug addicts. One in five people are uh, drug addicts who are basically taking tranquilizers every day in order to cope with life, and it's not really helping. And there's a lot of side effects to that, and they're tired of it. Uh, so a lot of people have turned to, you know, nutrition to provide answers to those kind of things. But then social justice is doing the same exact thing, right? So I mean, like social justice is basically just um, another mechanism that God that uh, Satan is using to remove any personal responsibility for people. So, I mean, if you have a, a crowd of angry people going out looting and rioting, you know, what are they, like, why are they doing that? Whose fault is it? Is it their own fault? Well, no, it's, you know, blame it on Whitey or whatever else. And so, like, the issue is victimization. Like, that's what we're trying to do at almost every single point. Like, we're clambering, uh, you know, falling all over ourselves, trying to be the biggest victim in the society. Because if you're a victim all personal responsibility is removed. So like as a ploy of the enemy, it's a clever strategy, obviously. And if you have some sort of, you know, pseudoscientific mechanism of basically categorizing all sins as sickness, you can basically never have to repent of anything because you can just go to a, you know, a pagan to give you a label to tell you why you don't have to repent of anything. And Mm -hmm. there's a label for everything for every single sin you can think of. There is a label for it. Um, so there's that, um, but then I, I think, yeah, so like that's, you know, that's Satan's strategy. Church is, the church, you know, ourself, I mean, we we have we have a lot to blame here because we, we used to think we believed in a Bible that was actually sufficient and clear that we could actually help people understand like what to do with how to handle life with. But now we basically, you know, for years and years, it's just like, well, I don't feel qualified to help a girl, you know, no. uh, who throws up, you know, it's like, I don't feel qualified to do that. I, she need one, she needs a girl to help her because she's not going to want to hear anything from a man. But then two, she needs some sort of psychologist, some sort of pagan to basically help fix her problems because I'm unqualified for it. But then I, I think, you know, we've basically, um, as a church, we don't really have a strong view of sanctification, mm-hmm. um, at all. You know, the, the extent of, uh, of most churches understanding of sanctification is, you know, read your Bible and pray. And I would say that's those are good things to do. And if more people would, um, you know, I would say if someone would spend, you know, five hours a day, um, I'm not trying to diminish the importance of that. I mean, if you spent like five hours a day reading your Bible and praying, 
I think probably a lot of your stuff would go away. Right, right. <laughs> anyways, anyways, you know. But uh, but I mean, the Bible has a lot more to say about how to be sanctified and how to stand firm in the you know Christian life and you know how to fight the Christian life and just you know read the Bible and pray. Uh, and and the problem is that you know by and large we haven't taught it, we haven't taught it, and so people don't know. You know, so there's that too. But I mean, those are just a few reasons why I think it's. Uh, so strong. Oh, but, but I mean, I, last one I would say is that obviously, <laughs> man, hey, look, come on. Like, if someone comes along and tells you it's not your fault, you know, like yeah, that anger, it's not your fault. You have intermittent explosive disorder, right? Or you have bipolar or whatever. You know, those, like the fact that you have no gratitude in your life and that you're constantly miserable, oh, that's not your fault. You have depression. Who doesn't want to hear that, right? Mm-hmm. Who doesn't want to hear, oh, you're not to blame for anything that's going on in your life. Right. It's, it's, you know, because of your past, it's because abusive childhood It's because, you know, all the mean people around you or it's because you have some sort of label. Everyone, everyone wants that. Everyone wants some sort of label that says, hey, it's okay to go and, you know, loot uh, the Louis Vuitton store for reparations. Right. Mm -hmm. So come on. Anyways. Right. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure my wife would be would want me to have a reason to go and loot the big fancy clothing store. (laughs) <laughs> as part of reparation. <laughs> no, but look, I mean, look, I mean, bring it practical. I mean, you know, when when you get mad at your wife, right? I, I'm sure that she's done something that make you, you know, uh, tempted to be angry at her. Uh, it, what what is your original impulse? It's like, oh man, I'm I'm a sinner, right? It's like, no, man, she's unreasonable and, and what mm-hmm. a jerk, and you know, mm-hmm. how dare you talk to me that way? And like, if you just wouldn't, you know, understand my needs and you know, get my love languages and whatever else, then you know, maybe everything would be okay. And if you always just do what I want you to do and show me respect and you know, uh, you know, obey me as the Bible says that you should, then everything will be all right. And I mean, we, we, all of us, we we want to always. Our fundamental problem is we want to blame shift. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. At, at every yeah. single point. Yeah. Um, I noticed, so I noticed it a lot. Is, I noticed that ahead. a lot when I'm driving, you know, I'm sure probably you, you know what I'm talking about too. And, and probably most people who are listening, but you, I find myself, uh, so say I'm driving on the interstate, you know, there'll be times where, um, people, people will be driving really slow and so I like I zoom around them sometimes just to try and get out from behind them. And then I think to myself, golly, I wish that I wish all these slow drivers wouldn't always be on the road. But then the minute that I'm that I'm driving slower and then someone zooms around me to try to get out from behind me, my initial thought is is never like, oh, I must be driving too slow or something it's always like wow can you believe that person is trying to go so fast on the interstate right now i always i always immediately think to clearly the other person is doing something wrong and if they would just change the way that they're the the way that they're driving then we wouldn't have any of the issues we're having instead of thinking like hey maybe i'm just driving too fast right now <laughs> you you know what i mean no i i, I know exactly what you mean because i used to be a pretty angry driver myself and you know like think about Think about that. Like just being an anger driver. Like what do you, what, what do people who are anger drivers do? They they like they constantly engage in the traffic talk, right? Oh, mm-hmm. look at that! Ah mm-hmm. oh, man, you're pulling out in front of me. Oh, what what are you doing? You know, like uh, <laughs> come on, I'm trying to drive here, right? Like and all that, all that kind of stuff. You do that nonstop. Now, I I I wanted to quit being so angry at driving, and the first step to quit being so angry at driving was to say. 
Nothing that any one of these people do is making me angry. I'm making a decision to get angry. Mm-hmm. They're not causing me to be angry. My anger is not coming from them, right? They're not making me angry. I am choosing to be angry in response to what they're doing. So, you know, and, and there's plenty, plenty of practical steps that you can take to quit, like, being an angry maniac on the road. And I'll tell you, like, I mean, I, you know, it's been years since I've been mad while driving. And, and I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm just trying to say that every time I've talked about road rage in the context of a church, everyone gives me a knowing smile. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, like, it's probably impossible. And it's just like, I look at them and I say, no, you know what? Like, I haven't been angry in 10 years while driving. It's, if you repent of it. And you take responsibility for it. You don't have to be a lunatic when you drive, right? Mm-hmm. And no, I'm not going to sit there and wink at you and, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I understand. No, it's wicked and it's evil and you need to stop because the wrath of man doesn't produce the righteousness that God requires, right? I mean, it doesn't. And mm-hmm. so, but then if you look at it and you say, I am angry because I am an evil, wicked sinner, not because of these people on the road, right? right. <laughs> it's me. It's my heart that is angry. It's not them. Like it is possible to drive in Atlanta traffic and not be upset. I promise, you know. Like it, it is. <laughs> but, but look, hey, it was. Uh, um, I, I, so I, I want to give one example real quick of, okay. of how this victimization thing works. And so, uh, because you know, you can say this all day long, and people just don't understand what you're talking about. But depression, I just just talk about depression, okay? Mm-hmm. So like, here's how. A, Here's here's what happens. So you go to the doctor and, you know, you, you feel bad all the time. You feel worthless all the time. You have all this like, like you just don't know where it's coming from. You don't know what's going on or whatever else. You go to a doctor and like they're going to run some medical test on you and everything else and see if there's anything physically wrong with you. And after they exhaust all that, you know, you're going to say, hey, like, and, and I mean, this happened to me. I mean, when I was in... um early college or whatever. I was depressed all the time. I went to the doctor. I always thought I was sick. I didn't know what was going on with me. I couldn't understand where it was coming from. It's just like, I just feel all this worthlessness. I, I you know, feel sick all the time. I, I felt terrible. I don't know what's going on. And the doctor looked at me and he said, are you depressed? I said, yep. And he said, well, that's what's going on. And then he wanted to give me some antidepressants. Right. And it's just like, well, hold on. <laughs> and that was one of the things that, so there's nothing wrong with me. There has to be something wrong with me. You have to None of the tests are showing that there's anything wrong with me. No, right? But but here you you, know, you go to a, a psychologist. They're gonna like there's a list of criteria they're gonna use to determine whether or not you have depression. Okay, and so here's the here's the here's the list. Okay, so the DSM five outlines the following criteria to make a diagnosis of depression. The individual must be experiencing five or more symptoms during the same two week period. And at least one of the symptoms should either be a depressed mood or lost of interest in pleasure or pleasure, right? So five symptoms. So this is how you're being determined whether or not you have clinical depression. Okay. No mm-hmm. medical tests are going to be performed on you to determine whether or not you have de- clinical depression. Uh, you have to have five or more symptoms during the same two week period. And one of them should either be a depressed mood or loss of interest in pleasure. So here are the here like five of these. So you have to have a depressed mood nearly uh, most of the day, every day, right? Depressed mm-hmm. mood. So they're going to ask you about your feelings. Do you feel depressed? In order to determine whether you're clinically depressed, they're going to ask you, do you feel depressed? Most of the day, <laughs> nearly every day. And if you say yes, well, check, right? So it's like a, 
it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I mean, mm. all it takes is for you to have depression is to say, I feel depressed. Right? <laughs> so number two, uh, markedly diminished interest in pleasure at all or almost all activities most of the day, nearly every day. So look, all right, step number two, question. Do you, are you losing interest in pleasure? Yes. Okay, check. All right, so then third, significant weight loss when not dieting or weight gain or decrease or increase in, uh, in appetite nearly every day. So dem- depressed mood, diminished in, in interest in pleasure, either a lot of weight gain or weight lost, right? So you either you, you start to binge with food or you don't have any interest in it. Um, uh, four, you know, psychomotor motor agitation, essentially slowing down of thought, a reduction of physical movement. So you just look slow. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, not merely subjective feelings of re- uh, uh, restlessness are being slow, but actually observable by other people. Hey, he looks like he's moving slower than normal. Right. Uh, so then fatigue or loss of energy nearly every day. So like they're talking about your feelings, right? Fatigue or loss of energy every day. Feelings of worthlessness or excessive or an inappropriate guilt nearly every day. Diminished ability to think or concentrate or indecisiveness nearly every day. Reoccurrent thoughts of death without a specific plan or suicide attempt or specific plan for committing, right? So uh, now to receive the diagnosis that they must cause significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other areas of function. But notice there's nothing medical happening there. It's right. Questions about thoughts and behaviors, right? <laughs> hey, is your Do you is your arm does your arm feel broken? Yeah, it feels broken. Must be broken. <laughs> Must be broken. Well, I mean, and so you, you, like, but here's the thing. I mean, what do you what do you do with a person like that, right? I mean, you, you're either lean, leaning on these psychological categories, and you're going to say, oh, well, look, hey, he's not eating a lot, and he's you know lost interest in pleasure, and he's depressed nearly all day long, and significant weight loss or weight gain, and fatigue, and feelings of worthlessness and shame. It's like, well, I think the Bible talks about what to do with a person who feel, feels worthlessness or shame, doesn't it? Don't we have answers to worthlessness and shame? Uh, don't, you know, reoccurring thoughts of death. I mean, what does the Bible say about people, uh, like about unbelievers, that, that they're held captive by the fear of death, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, look, depressed mood nearly most every day. Like, doesn't the Bible have a lot to say about Thanksgiving and giving thanks and, like, you know, give thanks for this to the will of God, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Don't we have answers to any of these things? And I, th- I think, yes, actually we do. And so don't you have, like, categories that you can work with so you're either going to work with the psychological categories you're going to work with biblical categories you're going to describe what you're seeing with biblical categories but then here's the thing like the basic assumption of all psychology is that man is basically inherently good and that he's just a complex machine and if he's acting in an abnormal way then they like the the basic assumption is that the error in the system must be somehow related to some sort of biological reality because that's all they have and they don't right. understand that that some problems are spiritual in nature they're not physical problems but it has to be like if you're a materialist secularist it has to be a material problem right mm-hmm. like that's the way it is like and so like that's the issue so uh, anyways all right what else you got um so is psychology useful in any way at all for us or is it is this a scenario where it's better to say hey let's just throw this whole thing in the garbage and and find an alternative uh, um yeah uh well uh, um one of the things that biblical you know those um 
biblical counselors who are, are much more uh, careful in their words than me will say is that they'll say that there is no necessary relationship between psychology and counseling, meaning whatever, you know, um, what whatever good that might come from a psychologist is going to be found in the Bible mm-hmm. anyways. And so if you believe the Bible is sufficient and it's clear and it's authoritative and it's a priority, if you believe those things, then you believe that God's given us a book and he hasn't left us in the dark. And I mean, obviously, I mean, like, look, do we, we have it we have what we need in the bible to help someone deal with like feelings of worthlessness or guilt nearly every day right we know what to do with people who are held captive by the fear of death we know what to do with people who are filled with ungratitude and unthankfulness like we we have answers to these questions in the bible so mm-hmm. like the, the careful biblical counselors would say that there is no necessary relationship between psychology and biblical counseling uh, but, you know, secular counselors are often skilled observers in the world and can say things that uh, actually are helpful despite uh, the fundamental problems within their worldview. And I mean, just an example of something like that would be uh, Jordan Peterson and, you know, his 12 rules for life. And a lot of them are largely like um, um, helpful, common sense, practical wisdom, you know, like just stand up straight with your shoulders back go make up your bed, that kind of thing. But but one of the things to realize is that like these are not remarkable insights and these are things that biblical Christians should be saying if we would had any knowledge of what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, hey, you know what? You want to change the world? Why don't you start by dealing with what you have, right? And so right. the Bible would say if someone is faithful over little, then they'll be given much to be faithful over. That's essentially saying, go make your bed, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't let, have to listen to Jordan Peterson to get that. But but then here's the problem. It's just like trying to find good in psychologists uh, because I'm because I'm uh, sick and tired of the church like giving over this territory to the psycho to to the psychologist. And we need to wake up and realize that we've created a generations, several generations now of drug addicts uh, who are depicted uh, dependent on chemicals in order to just cope with life. Um, because I'm sick of that. I, I mean, I do think that like trying to mine psychology for its valuable insights is like trying to, you know, mine a turd for tr- uh, nutrition value or something like that. It's like, <laughs> can you find some undigested food in there? <laughs> Perhaps that, that a actually... kernel of corn that sure. wasn't digested. Sure, but why would you want to, man? Because it, like, here's the thing: it's so filled with filth. Mm-hmm. Like it's so it's put in a filthy environment, and that's that's like that's the problem. I mean, look at someone like Jordan Peterson. For all the good things that he has to say, he still ended up as a suicidal drug addict. Right. Okay. Like he doesn't know how to handle life, and and, and like you listen to him in his interviews, and here's the problem. I mean, it's like you're listening to a person who who te- like he he is reduced to weeping, and he's reduced to tears over and over and over again in these interviews because he is so afraid that one time he's going to say something that's going to give his adversaries all the ammunition they need to destroy all the good impact that he's had mm-hmm. and, and he's held captive by this like perfectionism that you know shows up in all of his 12 rules for life and it's affected him it's affected the life of his daughter is now his daughter's like um turned to this fad diet uh she's able to you know She's only able to eat steak 
with salt and pepper, or I don't even think pepper on it. Uh, she's only able to eat like like meat, like that's the only thing she's able to eat, and she can drink, you know, vodka. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, man, maybe I need to sign up for that diet up until the she vodka can, bar. Yeah, she can drink vodka or something. I think there's like an example of her like having pepper on her steak at a restaurant that reduced her to like. Um, you know, a severe, uh, out of control, you know, depression for several weeks because, you know, she was defiled by that pepper or something like that. Oh, no, I, I need, I need pepper. I need pepper. (laughs) But is that, I mean, but look, I mean, it's just like, I, I, here, here's the thing. I mean, okay. Yeah. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad he's telling people that, Hey, you know, you, it's okay to be white male. Right. And that why are we like taking us like an all out assault on masculinity? But like physician, heal yourself. He doesn't even know how to handle life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and and those observations, they're not morally neutral. They're coming from a legalist trying to earn his salvation that ultimately led him into despair and despondency because he realizes he's not perfect, right? And he doesn't have an answer to. He doesn't have the answer to those, you know, the most basic and fundamental issues of life. And if you follow him down that road and you look to him as you know your life coach or whatever, you're going to end up like him. Because he doesn't even see all the the ways in which uh, that legalism that is present in his thought is leading to the outcome that he's come to, and so you know, so why would you do that? Do I not just go to the Bible to find the answers? If if you know what I mean, like right. why, why why go to someone who fundamentally has a worldview that's absolutely hostile to the Bible at every single point? I mean, even a guy like that, he's still working within the victim categories of. Uh, of psychology, like uh, and in you know, all the baggage that comes with all those categories and personality tests and everything else, I mean, it's just like that's not he's he's gonna he he is going to lead you to hell, mm-hmm. you know. And, and that's what people, you know, you say that kind of thing, and people's like, well, you know, obviously he's not going to help you save your soul, right? Uh, but maybe he has some good practical common sense stuff. Yeah, but yeah, it's like, <laughs> but. It's like trying to find that corn in that pile of solid waste there. It's all <laughs> filtered. I mean, it, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to be gross. I'm, I'm just trying to say, hey, it, uh, it, like, think about it. It's all packaged in a worldview that is hostile to everything the Bible says mm-hmm. at every single point. And, it, and why why bother with it? It's, it's exhausting. I mean, I've listened to his podcast for years, and I, I'm frustrated the whole time I listen to it because I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, wrong, 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 wrong. That's horrible advice. That's awful advice. Oh, you know, all right. That, that was all right. But I have to do wrong, wrong, wrong like 10 times to get to, oh, well, yeah, that was that was helpful. But right. I mean, the Bible already says that. That's why I know it's helpful, you know? Mm-hmm. So why do that? Just go to the Bible. Trust the Lord, you know? Through right. His word. He, right. He's, he's, he's not trying to confuse you. He wants you to, if you trust him and you go to the scriptures, everything you need to know how to handle life is there. Mm-hmm. And, so you, you you don't have to go to the pagans to help you to fix things. But anyways, that's a long-winded answer to say, um, you know, I, I don't think that there is any um, necessary relationship between psychology and counsel, uh, psychology and biblical counsel. And, you know, by and large, we, you know, the problem is we don't know the Bibles, our Bibles well enough to actually even understand, like, all the ways in which we're trying to be deceived, you know, for many, mm-hmm. <laughs> just another ramble. I mean, for many years, people thought the Disney movies, you know, the problems were, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, what's wrong with Disney is, uh, you know, when Mufasa, like, 
falls off the cliff, uh, there's a cloud of smoke that that is that says sex or whatever in it, and that's a subliminal message or something like that, you know. And the, there's all the witchcraft and everything else. And so if you you watch Disney movies, you're going to end up uh, sacrificing a goat to Satan or something like that. I mean, but but like the problem was it wasn't like that wasn't the danger of Disney. The danger of Disney was the follow your heart nonsense that you can be what you want to be nonsense. You know, mm-hmm. that, that was that was what like that's our generation is living out a Disney theology, and it wasn't the things we were worried about. Uh, But then we didn't know our Bibles well enough to realize that all the lies that you could see in the transgender movement and the homosexual movement, uh, all that stuff is, is being, is, you know, filled by uh, that same, you know, silly Disney kind of message. Right. Mm -hmm. At every single point. So anyways, I like, I like that. That sounds very tweetable. The Disney, we're all following Disney theology. (laughs) Oh, it's uh, it's absolutely true. No, no, it for sure is. It for sure is. I I'm in 100% agreement with you on that. The, um, I want to go back. You said, but hey, no one wants to be that guy watching the Disney movie saying, "Hey, you know that's the lie of the enemy." Let's pause it, kids. You know, like, <laughs> Hang on, hey, let me, that's let Satan me trying to twist this... your brain. You know? <laughs> right, right. It's like, oh, dude, we're just trying to watch the movie. You know, it's just. Hey, like, let me just watch like, The Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just watch it. But I mean, do you really want to stop the movie 20 times in order to do that? No one's going to watch a movie with you anymore. No. And so it's just like, well, just let the kids watch it. Right. Well, then, right. yeah, then they grow up and don't know, like, then then they grow up and they feel like this deep emotional, like, uh, experience when, you know, Elsa finally comes out of her closet, you know, it's just mm-hmm. like, oh man, like, that's my life. You know, I feel like maybe, maybe, maybe she's talking about me, you know, right. it's just like, <laughs> be true to yourself, you know, be who you want to be. Maybe I don't feel like I'm a man, you know, like, um, so anyways, go ahead. Um, I wanted to go back, you know, you said you're talking about, uh, how the Bible, it has, God's given us the answers to, all of these questions, all of these dilemmas that people face throughout life because of their own sin. And so we know that God, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily want us to be living in despair. He doesn't want us to be controlled by things like alcohol or anger or whatever else you might go to a psychologist to help you deal with. Um, so, and, and I, I would hope that you and I both would say the same thing. Hey, when it comes to the person who's, who is, you know, quote unquote depressed, when it comes to the person who is overcome with anxiety and worry and fear over everything, you know, kind of like how you're describing uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, we would want to say, Hey, you know, I I don't want to excuse you from your sin, but then I also don't want you to have to, uh, you know, try and deal with this on your own. So what would you say to that person? Where would you send that person? If we're not, if we're not going to send them to a psychologist, where would we send that kind of person to? Uh, Yeah. The whole um, point of the biblical counseling movement was to say that the that the average regular Christian has all the answers that they need in the Bible in order to handle Mm -hmm. the basic issues of life. And so the heartbeat of the biblical counseling movement has been from the very beginning that 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 your standard everyday Christian is competent to counsel. It's not just a, something for the experts. It's your standard everyday Christian is much more you know has much more wisdom than the PhD in psychology on mm-hmm. how to 
handle people in the Bible. And, and I mean, to most people, that just sounds absurd. But I mean, it's just absolutely uh, true. It's absolutely true. Uh, because, I mean, you you have a different starting point. So, I mean, the starting point of the standard individual Christian is to say, I'm a sinner, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, like, if you just take a standard individual Christian who says, hey, I, my starting point is I'm a sinner, but God's a great Savior. And he's come in order to not only save me from heaven, but to fundamentally clean up my life, right? right? So you just believe that. That's Christianity 101. That's basic, right? Holy Spirit comes to live inside of me, and I'm going to be conformed into the image of Christ and, and God started a good work in me and he's going to be faithful to complete it until the, you know, the last day and everything else. And, you know, we're, uh, you have progressive sanctification. I, I get saved at a point in time. And then, you know, as I grow in the Christian life, I'm going to constantly be putting to death sin and, and, and by his grace and through his help and by the, by the power of his spirit, I'm going to be made more and more like him until the final day when I die. And then I'm going to be completely like him. Standard Christian who, who knows that. Think about this. Like you just read the Bible. Just read the Bible. What are you going to find when you look at anger, right? Wrath of man doesn't produce the righteousness that God requires, right? Mm-hmm. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Uh, what, what are you going to see? You're going to see uh, um, like examples even in the Old Testament. You know, cursed be their anger because it is fierce, right? <laughs> like, I mean, you're going to read, you're going to see that, hey, you know, Satan, he's uh, he's filled with anger and murder. And the Sermon on the Mount tells me that, hey, like, uh, if I have anger in my heart against my brother, then I'm a murderer, right? And so what is that Christian going to do? He's going to say, hey, well, I think I probably need to repent of this, right? Mm-hmm. I need to repent of this anger. It's wrong. It's sinful. It's not helping me. It's not helping my relationship. It's destroying my relationships. It, and, and whose fault is it, right? The good man out of the good treasure of good heart brings forth good. The evil man out of evil treasure of evil heart brings forth evil. It's my fault, right? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like what's happening is is me. So this anger is my fault. So like a standard person reading their Bible, I mean, you, you could think of, you know, um, your standard uh, person who never went to college and voted for Trump. Right, just the worst possible person imaginable. Right, blue collar worker work, uh, voted for Trump. Everything else, like, but then they read their Bible and and you know they don't have some sort of PhD in psychology and they say, hey, you know what? I need to actually repent of my anger. And you know what a PhD in psychology is going to do? He's going to come up with some sort of label. You have intermittent dispulsive disorder. Oh, you know what? You 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 alternate between periods of of anger and then. Um, and then depression, well, you must be bipolar, right? And so, you know, like, who's going to be the better counselor? That sincere per- person who read their Bible and says, I need to turn from anger. And then they experience genuine life transformation because they, they sincerely, with a humble heart, say to God, God, this anger is my fault and I need you to help me with it. And I need to repent of it. And every time they blow up, they say, hey, Lord, will you please forgive me? And then they go and they tell the other people around them, hey, will you please forgive me for blowing up on you? That person is going to have like a thousand times more beneficial counsel to give to a person, a Christian who's struggling with anger than any psychologist ever will. Mm-hmm. So, so essentially, you know, if you're the person struggling with this stuff, uh, you need to, there's two places you need to turn. The first one would be scripture, right? And then the second one would be uh, your friend who's a Christian who also turns to scripture, right? Yeah, so the Bible says iron sharpens iron. And so one of the things that we're supposed to do is admonish one another, correct one another, exhort uh, one another, rebuke one another. Uh, God has given the church pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. One of the things that 
you know, pastors should be doing is we should be the primary counsel, the primary people who are counseling. Uh, but then not only that, I mean, we should be teaching, we should be equipping other people to counsel other people and mm-hmm. help them to deal with these basic problems of life. I mean, the Bible talks about anger all the time. It talks about despair all the time. It talks about sadness all the time. It talks about guilt all the time. It talks about all of these things. It talks about body image. It talks about self-worth, all this stuff that we think the Bible has the answers to. And they're not complicated answers. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, but yes, I mean, like I, 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 you know, my hope would be that, you know, a church would think to themselves, we like just in simple childlike faith, we have everything we need in the Bible. You know, I can go to the Bible myself. I don't have to have someone else go. But then if I'm in something that seems messy and everything else, you know, there's wisdom. The Bible says there's um, wisdom and abundance of counselors, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so, um, you know, I, I would want people to um, definitely be, um, um, I want people to definitely be, um, sorry, my phone is ringing. Uh, I'd want people to definitely be uh, looking to others to, um, um, uh, in the church to help them with problems that they seem to not be able to do. But um, is that? So you're saying that essentially every Christian is completely, every or well, every Christian who reads their Bible regularly uh, is is um, equipped to be able to handle these sorts of situations and be able to encourage their friends and their peers who are facing, uh, you know, stuff like overwhelming anxiety, you know, alcohol, you know, um, uh, addiction to alcohol or drugs or or whatever it is. Uh, so, but then you're, but then earlier in the episode, you also talked about different. Christian colleges who are opening up biblical counseling programs as a means to sort of, I guess, fight back against the psychology movement. So, so what exactly is, um, what exactly is the benefit of trying to go to one of these schools and getting an education as opposed to just, you know, at your average everyday normal genuine Christian who does try to read their Bible and understand what scripture says. What What's the difference? Between- yeah, I'm not, yeah, let me clarify. I'm not saying every individual Christian is equipped to deal with every problem. What okay. I am saying is there's nothing to stop them from being. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, here's the thing. I mean, it's just like you take a guy who um, with sincere faith, like reads the Bible from cover to cover like let's say you you take your standard blue collar worker, Trump supporter, you know, um, all that. <laughs> take that guy, right? Um, and uh, you, you say that he like reads his Bible ten times a year, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm saying that guy is going to be much better equipped than the psychologist is. Okay, mm-hmm. the problem is that your standard you know Christian is not reading their Bible hardly any. Right. right. So your standard blue collar Christian or your standard any kind of Christian, like they're not reading their Bible hardly ever in on any I'm a professing Christian ever. I mean, we're filled with like like America's filled with nominal Christians, like particularly in the South and Bible Belt. And so we're not reading the Bible and so we don't have anything to say because we don't know this book like we should. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then it's not like a mysterious book. I mean, it's not hard. Like, I mean, God's not, I mean, there's obviously like, 
you know, people who have various uh, uh, degrees of intelligence and everything else. And the Bible says few should become teachers because they'll receive uh, a stricter judgment. But then the Bible does say to the standard everyday Christian, admonish one another, correct one another, exhort one another, rebuke one another, make disciples, right? Mm-hmm. So every while everyone might not be a formal teacher, everyone, if, if you just, you know, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, Go to the scriptures, actually learn them. Like, and, and, and you know, the easiest way to learn the Bible is to read it. Just read it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do all this complicated stuff. Just read the thing, and it like the word of, word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword. Will you know pierce between the divisions between soul and marrow, and joints and spirit, uh, uh, joints and everything else, and it is able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Right. So, like, here's the thing: like, you just read through the Bible. The Bible. Bible will give you wisdom rather than your adversaries. Like if you just read it, you don't, you know, you don't have to do all, all this complicated stuff. So, um, I, I think, uh, but then, you know, why is it helpful to have like, um, pastors? Well, I mean, I think having, you know, part of the way that like you can just go to the Bible and, and God has a lot to help you, but then he has made the body in such a way that, you know, there should be some teachers, right? <laughs> Like uh, there, there is a purpose of a pastor, and the purpose of a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and and so you know, uh, and part of like what these counseling school schools are trying to do is to help people to demystify what's actually happening with psychology, mm-hmm. and open people's eyes up and prepare them to you know fight fight that fight, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and then to teach lay people that hey, you don't have to be intimidated by. Um, you don't have to be intimidated by these people with all these degrees behind their name. I mean, you can just just read the Bible, think the way the Bible wants you to think, think about the world the way the Bible wants you to think. And if you do that, you know, you, you, your, your impulse at every single point is not going to, you know, put some label on someone, some psychological label that removes their personal responsibility. What you're going to do is you're going to think about the world in the categories that the Bible gives you. You know, you're going to mm-hmm. realize, hey, anger is a sin. Right, laziness is a sin. Sloth is a sin. A man doesn't provide for his own household. He's been in the faith. He's worse than an unbeliever. You know, you're going to think the way the Bible wants you to think, and you're going to know what to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, now, you you actually yourself you went to school for biblical counseling, right? Right. Where Where did you go? Yeah, I went to the Master's University in uh, Santa Clarita, California, and then I went to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary after that because I realized that. You know, along the way, kind of what happened is I, you know, most people go into counseling because they're messed up and, and, uh, that's kind of a running joke, but that's, that was true for me. I mean, I was you know, early twenties. I didn't have any, you know, hope in life. I was severely depressed and didn't know what I want to do with my life. And, you know, just trying to follow my heart and my heart was just, uh, you know, messing me up, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, that Disney theology, man, it messed yeah. you up, huh? Yeah, I mean, it basically just uh, my heart was filled with all sorts of wickedness and everything else. And so, but then that left me guilty with no real answer. But then, you know, when I became a Christian, I started, you know, just, I I, I looked around and, you know, I had read all the psychological literature before, you know, and I saw that it just, it didn't have any answers and that it's just turning people into drug addicts. And, and, and what was like really, um, for me, um, um, formative was I, I just, I thought to myself, I mean, it's just like, hey, like, we have this book here 
that God wrote us. And it's a very big book. And mm-hmm. like, no one is going to persuade me that this doesn't have the answers to my problems, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, I've looked to answers everywhere else, and they've left me bankrupt and empty. I don't have anything, you know? I don't have any answers here. But then it's just like I, I went to the Bible and I said, God, you know, you created the world. You exist. You're real, right? You exist. You made the world. And you gave us a book in order for us to know how to live and to know how to honor you. And so I'm just going to believe that you have given me what I need here mm-hmm. in order to know how to deal with all these things that like no one has any answers for. And as I read the Bible, one of the things I found is I found answers to everything. I mean, I, had to, I was given a worldview to tell me how to understand my life and what was going on and how to deal with things. Um, and then I, you know, I thought to myself, man, I just want to go to school in order to learn how to... Uh, well, first, to make sure I'm not crazy, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> you can kind of feel crazy if you're like the only one saying things like that. But right. It's like, well, I mean, there's all sorts. Of, I was exposed to like a whole school full of people who were all saying the same, or, you know, professors uh, at different places that were all had the same convictions. And, and so, but that's kind of why I went. And then along the way, it's just like, I thought, well, like the church has handed this job over to the psychologists and really this job of pastors to be doing. And so that led me into wanting to get an MDiv and be a pastor at some point. Mm-hmm. Because I thought, hey, the Bible has answers. Let's give them to people. So would you, uh, maybe I'm putting you in a tricky situation asking this next question, but I'm sure there's there might be people uh, who are listening to this episode and, and saying to themselves, hey, maybe this sounds like something that I want to do myself. Um, maybe, maybe some of what you are, what you're saying about your own testimony kind of resonates with them. And so would you uh, recommend the, the places that you went to school? I mean, obviously when you go to school, you're spending a lot of time there. You're getting to see a lot of the professors and what they teach and their methodology for um, conveying information. So would you recommend those schools as, as a good starting place for someone who's saying to themselves, I, I want to pursue the same thing. I want to pursue <laughs> biblical counseling. I want to pursue um, I being a pastor. I master's university, uh, you know, beyond that. Uh. SBC is a mess right now, man. (laughs) Well, they're lost in wokeness and everything else. I wouldn't go there. So, Uh, Masters is good. Masters Masters is good. good. Hey, but look, uh, you know, ACBC has a lot of good resources. what, what, is that? That what is that? What is that? ACBC, uh, just uh, Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Okay. Uh, and then, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of good stuff there um, as well. And so, you know, just look into Nuthetic Counseling. There's a lot of free stuff and um, okay. free stuff out there, too. You don't necessarily have to go to Bible college or seminary. I would just you know, read your Bible a lot is what I would mm-hmm. tell people. You want, you want to help people read your Bible. Like there's mm-hmm. a short, you can go to school and you're not going to help anyone if you don't know what the Bible says. Right. And, and like even going to, you know, a good school is not going to like teach you the Bible. You're going to have to put in time and work and, you know, make it a priority. Mm-hmm. So if you want to help someone with the Bible, you have to know the Bible. And there's, like, they, you know, 95% of knowing the Bible is reading it. Just read it a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, find a good church, you know. Um, but you, know, that, that, uh, you, you only know how to find a good church if you read it a lot. So don't skip that step. Well, uh, I guess the last question I'll ask you is, uh, you know, you, how, how, well, first, how long have you been, 
Um, a pastor, how long have you been doing biblical counseling for? Yeah, I mean, I've been doing biblical counseling in one shape or form since, you know, 2006 or so. So, 15, Okay, 15 years, roughly. 15-ish years, yeah. Um, I've been a pastor for roughly uh, uh, seven or eight years or something like that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so maybe you could just kind of um, finish off by – you know, telling us an example of a time where you know, I, I, I feel like a lot of people, when they hear the description of biblical counseling, the fact that essentially what you're doing is you're telling someone, hey, look, you're the reason that you're having these issues. So the reason you're depressed is because you're not, you know, because you're not thankful. And the reason um, you're overwhelmed with anxiety is because you're not putting your trust in the things God's promised or, you know, whatever it is. Obviously there's going to be a lot of people who hear that and they say, well, that's not going to be helpful. You know, how are you helping a person by telling them that it's, that it's their fault to begin with? So could you just kind of give us an example of a time where, um, or may, you know, maybe describe a situation, obviously leaving out the name of the person, um, where you met with them, you, counseled them the same way you would counsel anyone and then you and then God really worked in that and and um really kind of delivered that person out of whatever uh whatever scenario they were facing or whatever issue it was that they were having to deal with yeah I, I, well um I can give a scenario but then I do want to clarify uh, you know biblical counseling is not essentially saying every problem that you're experiencing is your fault. Okay. Uh, so there is sin and there is suffering, right? Okay. So, I mean, for, for instance, I mean, if you're a wife and you, you know, your husband is, um, beating you every day, you mm -hmm. know, like you, you can't just like <laughs> in a simplistic <laughs> way say, well, you deserved it. Right. <laughs> right. Such a wretch, right. Right. So like, look, I mean, there's sin and there's suffering uh, I mean, and the opposite thing is true too. I mean, if you're if you're married to a a, a contentious woman, I mean, you can't just uh, you know as much as um, virtually you know responsibility goes one way. You know? So <laughs> here's the thing. I mean, if you're married to a contentious woman, it's not as if it's true that that is all that any kind of suffering that comes from that is always and in a simplistic way, all your fault. Okay. Mm -hmm. You may be contributing. I mean, both people, both people might be contributing to that in different ways. Uh, Cause sin doesn't typically happen in a vacuum, but you know, there, there are like, you know, there is genuine suffering that happens from the poor choices of other mm -hmm. people. You know, mm -hmm. if your parents, right. you know, like ran out, on, ran out on you and left, you know, at an early age, I mean, you, you can't say, Hey, that's all my fault. And just, you know, you're a sinner and what do you deserve, you know, or whatever else. And so, uh, you know, biblical counseling is helping people deal with sin and with suffering. Uh, now there's, there's righteous ways to suffer and there's sinful ways to suffer too, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's that, but so I, I just wouldn't want to reduce it to just, Hey, it's all your fault. Repent, you know? I mean, that's, right. but I mean, in a lot of cases it's like, like you do like, Hey, if you're angry, if you're angry, you know, step one, like, is it righteous or sinful? But step two is like, if it's sinful, it's like, hey, you know, you need to, you, you got to own it. You know, no one's making you angry, you know? So there's that. But, right. 
Um, I don't know. I mean, I could give examples of other people, but I, mean, I could just give examples for myself. I and mean, my life didn't change until I stopped blaming everything on everyone else in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, being in early college, I mean, I'm like, look, I mean, no one has perfect like relationships in their life. Uh, you know, every, um, everyone is tempted to say, Hey, you know, if like my parents were better parents, then, you know, my life would be easier and, you know, everything else, or, you know, if I, we had more money, you know? So, I mean, there's any number, like if like we had more money, we'd have more opportunities. And I mean, this is all the social justice stuff that people are caught up in. It's just like, there's social inequalities in the world. Therefore, you know, I was dealt a shorthand and everything mm-hmm. else and the system's trying to keep me back. And, I mean, everyone can say that. Like, at a certain level, you, like, you could just say, hey, you know, my parents weren't perfect. Hey, you know, we didn't have perfect socioeconomic opportunities. You know, we didn't have opportunities that the rich kids had growing up and everything else, right? And so, I mean, just my, my own personal testimony was, like, I mean, I'm looking at my life, and um, it wasn't, my life didn't really start to change until I realized that, you know what, like, there's plenty of things I can complain about, but but here's like for me, like for for so many years, like I just looked around and I said, "Hey, I don't know what it means to be a Christian. I don't see anyone who's really willing to do what the Bible says, no matter what it co- what it what it cost. So therefore, I'm not going to go to church and I'm going to give up. And I'm going to quit, right? Mm-hmm. But my my life didn't change until I had I just looked in the mirror and said, "Hey, you know what? The only person you control is yourself, and like that's it. And and and." Apart from God's grace, you can't even do that, right? Right. <laughs> so you need God's help. You need Him to help you to change. And I mean, I, I think for me, like just looking at my own life and just saying, I, I change didn't happen in my life until I quit blaming all my problems on my past. I quit blaming my problems on my circumstances. I quit blaming all my problems on my situations. I quit blaming my problems on, you know, other people and just looked in the mirror and said, hey, you know what? Like, all I can do is be faithful to God and do what He says. And, and you know, that's that. that just a little thing, little change right there. It says, Lord, you know, I forgive me. I'm a sinner. I need your help. I, and I trust you that you can fix me. That totally, you know, set me on a different path completely. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I could, you know, I could tell you stories of, you know, I mean, I got to tell you stories of people who, you know, blamed all their problems on like the food that they're eating, you know, and food became an idol to them and just trying to help them to, see that hey you know what like um your your view of yourself is wrong and your view of food is wrong and you have to you know take responsibility for these things or just you know people living in sin calling them to repentance i mean um you know most of the time people get mad but then sometimes they actually <laughs> repent and right from it. right <laughs> and you see like dramatic changes in their life but it doesn't happen apart from you know god's grace and god moving and everything else but um anyways you know I guess there's uh, plenty of stories like that. But. Yeah. Yeah, that that reminds me, quick side note, hopefully it's quick. Um, it reminds me, I've told you this story before, but, uh, you know, when my wife was pregnant, it was a really hard pregnancy on her, and, and she was she was really having a hard time eating pretty much anything and, and uh, being able to, you know, drink enough water and eat enough food. And so she was constantly basically bedridden the whole time where i mean she just didn't have any energy to do anything because she wasn't eating she wasn't drinking um and being able to hold it down and so uh right right at this time too everyone else all of my friends 
uh, and and the people at our church, they were all in this going into new um, stages of life where a lot of them are getting married, a lot of them are buying houses, and so they're talking about the plans for weddings, they're talking about the plans for um, purchasing homes and and looking at you know appliances that they're going to buy and and everything else and so I would be I would be sitting with everyone listening to all their conversations and then and then I would feel profoundly sad because I was looking at everyone around me they're having all these really happy conversations about the new stages of life that they were all about to step into and then I looked at my own life and. And, you know, we had a baby, we had a baby on the way, but then I was, you know, basically, um, it it was a lot, it was a lot, a very difficult situation to try and go through. And oftentimes, you know, I would have to go out in public and I'm by myself right now because, because my wife just couldn't even get up really. Um, and, and everyone else, you know, obviously they're having all these happy conversations. And so I found myself being profoundly sad for a long time, for a few weeks, really. And then eventually we were all sitting around and I was listening to everyone talking and, and I was letting myself give in to the temptation to be really, you know, upset um, because uh, essentially because everyone else was having the, all these happy conversations and I wasn't getting to have any happy conversations. And I, and I kind of realized that in the middle of feeling sad for myself and I thought to myself, what in the world am I doing right now? What, what's happening? What's going on? Why am I letting myself feel sad? I have so many reasons to be happy and thankful right now. All my friends are getting married and, and God says that marriage is a good thing. And, um, you know, everyone, everyone's moving into homes that are closer to me so that I can see them more often and be in their lives more. And, and God's been blessing them with homes. And I'm sitting here with, with, um, you know, the gall to say that, you know what, in the midst of all this blessing, uh, I'm going to be upset and I'm going to be sad for myself. And, and once I kind of realized that it really changed, um, it really changed number one, I think my outlook on everything, but then number two, I instantly became happier. You know, when I was thinking about all of the ways that I should really be thankful, um, all the things I should be thankful for, I instantly became happier and and the sadness that I was feeling pretty much went away entirely now you know we still it was still you know difficult getting through the pregnancy I'm not saying it wasn't hard at any point but then but then it was easier from from that perspective uh from the the sadness perspective I I found myself with so much more joy so much more thankfulness and and really what it took was just realizing hey I'm the reason that I'm so upset right now. It's not, it's not anything anyone else is doing. It's not my friends. Um, it's not my friends having all these great things happening to them. It's me being unthank, unthankful and ungrateful. Well, you know, right? Proverbs says, Proverbs fourteen thirty says, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Right. And, and, and that's what but, I was doing. Well, and if you sit, here's the thing. If you sit on that, if you sit on that, for months and months and months and you sit on that and you sit on it at a certain point like you know someone says hey you know like why do you feel down all the time why do you feel miserable all the time why you know it's like i don't know like you don't know because you're so far deep into it you just know like you're just you've been 
you know, running that, uh, running down that track for so long, like there's no answers at that point. Right. But I mean, like, it's funny. Tranquil heart gives life to flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Like mm-hmm. people who are depressed. I mean, they're full of envy. Like, they're full of envy routinely. Right. I'm not saying that that's the only cause of depression, but I'm just saying that as a generalization, like, you know, the people who I've met who are reduced to just a non-functional depression, like, there's a long line of there's generally a, uh, in a lot of cases a long line of envy that has gone unrepentant you know you give them that label you say hey it's depression they're not dealing with the actual thing that can help them and that's the problem i mean that's that's why this is an important issue is it's mm-hmm. not just like, like people think oh man you're just beating up on everyone it's just like hey you're just being mean to the poor depressed person who's laying there on the ground it's like you know what like like here's the thing you, you know you can take a you can become a drug addict and take tranquilizers and like lay there but there's no hope for you you're gonna have to take those drugs for the rest of your life and mm-hmm. then you're gonna become chemically dependent on them and there, there's no answers for you there but if you take if you say hey like this is a spiritual problem i need to fight with spiritual weapons like the like the bible the bible says like the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for, you know, cast down strongholds and arguments and every lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God. God's weapons work. Mm-hmm. And like, it's the easiest thing in the world. Like if you, you know, it's the easiest thing in the world for a Christian to say, hey, I'm a sinner and Jesus died for not just this sin, but for every single one of them. Right. That I'm ever going to commit. Like the easiest thing to do is to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and just to say, hey, you know, I, I have sinned. If you know that Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of all of it and that there's an answer to that, right? But there's no answers in psychology. It's just like once a you know depressed person, always a depressed person. That's what you're going to be and there's no hope for you. And it's just medication because you have some sort of brain problem. It's like, what a hopeless mess that is, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a drug addict for the rest of my life. And that's why it's an important thing. It's just like, hey, you're not beating up on people. You're saying, hey, there's a path to this, but it's a path that requires humility that's only God-given, right? Right. It's a path that requires repentance, you know, and that's the very thing that you don't want, but that's the very thing that will give life to your flesh, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I think it goes without saying, but there is genuinely, there's true deliverance from all of these things. I mean, we, we don't have to suffer from all these things if we would just look to Scripture, see what it says, believe that all of it is true and then actively pursue it obviously with the help of the spirit um but but discipline ourselves to be able to pursue these things and and it's it's crazy really um how god will bless that and and how he often delivers us um from from these types of issues when we pursue him and and we look to him as our only hope well and once you see i mean i think is once you see hey like um like for many people, once they see, like for the first time, like the Bible delivering them from some specific problem, that some sort of stronghold in their life, that's what it takes for them for their eyes to be open, and right? Like for this conversation to make sense. But then, if if you know functionally, you know, you're just some nominal Christian who never reads your Bible, and you've never seen God deliver you from anything, right? Mm-hmm. Then you look at this and you just think, oh man, that's just nuts, and you guys are crazy. And yeah, you know what you're talking about. And it's like, but no, like it's like once you see, like what you're talking about. Hey man, I could have went down a, a spiral down a pit into just like hopeless, crippling despair, but like the Bible fixed it. 
mm-hmm. you know <laughs> it's like oh man like that gives you a whole new meaning on life and i mean there's like you know my life hasn't been easy for the past 15 years it's been remarkably difficult in certain ways mm-hmm. but you know whatever has made me stable has been just the knowledge of whatever god says like has been a light you know to my path and you know a lamp to my feet and everything else it's just to say hey you know i god's word has answers to this and mm-hmm. and you know it, they're not hard to find you know so yeah well i i think that's a good place to um to end on really so uh this has been another episode of Bible Bash. We hope you've been encouraged and blessed through our discussion. Uh, Now, go boldly and obey the truth in the midst of a biblically illiterate world who will be perpetually offended by your every move. Mm